Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. One of the primary goals of the Inflation Reduction Act is to stimulate growth in America's energy sectors. Big tax credits are offered to companies so they can, so that clean and renewable energy projects can get prioritized and moving. Uh, but as always in the legislative text, you got to read the fine print. What, what does it look like? Uh, one small provision in the massive uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act bill uh, was uh, something that has a huge impact on the timeline of getting the projects going. Uh, so what is that provision? Will it end up actually delaying new energy proje- uh, projects, potentially even by months or years? Uh, John Bailey's a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, also host of the podcast Tech Enabled. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. You had a great piece in The Hill today talking about something in these projects uh, within the Inflation Redu- Reduction Act that might actually not speed things up, but slow it down. I- Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Uh, so, so give us I, a. Oh, go ahead. No, so just like the overview of this is that uh, I think a lot of us have been trying to digest, to your point, the legislative details in uh, the bill that passed very quickly. And it, it included some very generous tax incentives as a way of sort of building out uh, new energy projects, a lot of clean energy, and also carbon capture and uh, sequestration projects. And, and there's a whole package of tax incentives, and what the bill did is it extended those. It gave a lot of certainty in terms of giving a 10-year runway for investors and for builders to kind of understand how much time they had uh, to build out these projects and count on the tax treatment. But what's interesting is that a, a number of the, the tax incentives included a base credit, but if you met two labor tests, you got a more generous tax incentive, sometimes as much as five times that base amount. Mm. And those two labor market tests are one is the project had to pay a prevailing wage, which is something that's part of the Davis-Bacon Act, and it's a way of uh, increasing wages for workers on a project. Uh, and that's, that's to be expected from a Democrat bill often is that they include the prevailing wage as a way of, of raising wages. But the other thing that's been more intriguing is that there is a requirement that a certain percentage of the workers working on these projects, building uh, these new energy um, uh, projects, have to have been trained through an apprenticeship program. And that starts off as 10% of the workers next year, and it goes all the way up to about 15% of workers working on projects in 2024 and beyond. And this is the good news and the bad news thing. The good news is apprenticeships have been enjoyed a lot of bipartisan support over the last uh, decade. It's something President Trump supported. It's something President Obama has supported in part because it combines real on-the-job training where workers are earning a wage but also learning on the job with some classroom instruction. And it's a way for them to, to slowly gather the skills and the competencies and the experience needed for, uh, for these new jobs. So that's a good thing. What's challenging is that uh, it's not clear that uh, the supply of apprenticeships are going to be able to, to get scaled quickly enough to meet the demand that these new tax incentives have created. And so that's, that was the whole genesis of our piece is we just wanted to 
start putting this on the radar of governors and a lot of uh, these entrepreneurs and investors that are beginning to work on these projects because I think a lot of them think it's going to be really easy to find apprenticeship to meet this, this, this test, this threshold. And in fact, uh, uh, there's just not that many apprenticeships in a, a couple of these key areas uh, programs. And so the programs are going to have to get stood up pretty quickly. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, and I think that's uh, – I'm, I'm one of those who believes in apprenticeship programs for all kinds of things, not just uh, for this kind of labor on these kinds of projects, uh, but in so many areas, I, I think it uh, can be a great way uh, to get people moving forward uh, in those both those that are doing traditional school and, and otherwise. Uh, I just think there's a, a lot of power and a lot of importance to that. But it's interesting you, you noted that just so many of these states uh, are just not prepared uh, – to, to be able to, stand, as you said, stand up those kind of programs and actually be able to get access to those additional funds? No, I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. Part, like what, you're, what we normally see with a lot of federal programs, like think about the, um, the federal broadband program or think about some of the other, the other investments, but there's, there's a transition period. There's time for governors to, to do planning for communities to get ready to do feasibility studies. In this case, the tax credits kick in in, in just a few weeks, in a, in a few months here. And so the question is, is, are there enough apprenticeship programs in the areas that are most conducive for some of these projects? And that, I think, we're a little concerned about this. Some of the western states, uh, Wyoming is a good example. Wyoming would be really great for some solar projects. And for us, it's some of the carbon capture yeah. and sequestration um, projects. But, but they only have about 80 registered apprenticeship programs already, not all of those are aligned with the type of construction and the type of skills that these new projects would need. And so they're going to have to stand up some new ones very quickly. And just what we know from past experience is that these are not something you could just turn on with a light switch and have up and running in a matter of a week. It takes, it takes some time, and then you also have to submit to a process with the U.S. Department of Labor in order to have that approved. And that's, what, that's the registered part of a registered apprenticeship. And it's not entirely clear if the Department of Labor is ready to, for the volume of new apprenticeship programs they'll have to register and approve. Yeah, and that's and that's the part I worry about is uh, even those states that say, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go big on these programs, uh, their ability to work through the red tape uh, to get registered, to get approved, uh, and as you mentioned, you know, will the the federal folks be ready? To, to process and evaluate all of those things coming in uh, at a really rapid clip. Yeah, I mean it's it's um, it's a challenge. It, it, I, there was a there's a more flexible program that the Trump administration had stood up called the Industry Recognized Apprenticeship Program, and this 
this solved a couple different needs. It was a little bit more flexible uh, in part because they, they would have other types of organizations that could certify uh, an apprenticeship program uh, that could be quickly stood up. And the, the Biden administration had decided uh, months ago that they wanted to sunset this and focus exclusively on the registered apprenticeship program. And I think they're going to look back with a little bit of regret because I, I think the framework of the industry recognized uh, apprenticeship model would have given them the flexibility to very quickly set up projects in the states, in the regions, and in the occupations that the IRA uh, energy projects are going to be uh, creating demand for. And so, um, I mean, maybe we'll see the Biden administration resurrect that. I, I doubt it. And so it puts all the chips on the registered apprenticeship program and we just have to help the, the Department of Labor is, is ready to quickly approve them. Yeah. Well, great insight. John Bailey's a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's also the host of the podcast Tech Enabled. Uh, John, appreciate your perspective on this. It's one we'll continue to follow and watch. Again, great upside potential. Uh, as long as we can get through the red tape and the registration process, uh, I think we can get to some good results. But uh, thanks for weighing in for us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Again, that's John Bailey, a non-resident senior fellow at uh, AEI. And uh, some really important perspective. You know, often you have in these bills, this was the Inflation Reduction Act, and it was an idea to see if they couldn't accelerate and increase some investment into these kinds of programs and, you know, all around uh, the kind of energy that we want to improve and do more, do better, do it cheaper. Uh, And the challenge, as always, is all the strings that are attached. And so, again, both uh, very high wages um, in terms of Davis-Bacon wages, that uh, will be a challenge, I think, for many organizations uh, to go there. But then also this apprenticeship program, which I love. Nobody's a bigger fan of apprenticeship programs. But now here we are less than eight weeks away from when these opportunities are going to come. And is the federal government ready to review, register, and approve these apprentice programs so that everything can begin to flow. That's always the test. It sounds great on paper. Uh, sounds great when it comes to uh, getting it done. Uh, but it, again, it's what are the results? Can we actually deliver on it? Well, that wraps up our number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Top of the hour news is next. We'll look at leadership, leadership contests in both the House, the Senate, Democrats, and Republicans after this. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.